All right, uh, Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. I see him. I see him. <laughs> there, he's waving, that counts. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. And uh, Trustee Blue is excused, but we do have a quorum. Okay, and uh, is there any public comment? Um, I have, I, nobody has reached out to me for public comment. Okay, so we'll move on to the approval of the minutes of last month's meeting, June 1st. Any comment on those minutes? I have one in that there's a typo right at the top where the letters FI are repeated. So if that could just be uh, deleted out. I Got think it. the minutes Thank you. are magnificent. Is there a motion to approve these magnificent minutes? <laughs> Nobody will step up, huh? I'll move. Sure, I'll move. Okay. All right, we'll go with Friedman moved and Splendorio seconded. All right. Uh, Trustee Esteen. Uh, I will uh, refrain from voting. I'm losing the word in this moment. Abstain. Trustee Esteen. Refrain, abstain. abstain. Thank you, because I was not present. <laughs> Got it. Trustee Fox. Uh, aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Uh, with three votes, it still passes. Thank you. Okay. Next order of business is the report from our CFO, Ms. Miranda. All right. Let me share my screen here. Everybody can see that okay? Yes, is okay. Yep. So this is the May report. So I'm starting with the volume stats. Um, if you look at the volumes, uh, we've got higher volume, mostly driven by patient days, but um, our length of stay is up and our CMI is down. So that's not typically a good combo. It's not what you wanna see. Uh, if you look at the percentages here, our um, patient days are up 5.6%. Our length of stay is up 18.5. So we definitely had you know, a lot of folks in the hospital, but the number of people that we're caring for are down, it's down 10.9%. And then if you look at our CMI, um, we're down 2% below budget. We're also below year to date and prior year. But what I will say is that we had um, quite a few patients that were here more than 20 days. So that means they were difficult to discharge patients. And I can see that um, our discharge to other dispositions is really quite a bit higher than our run rate. And that's to places like hospice and home health which I imagine were impacted by COVID. Um, I can say on the good news side is that Highlands Opportunity Days, those are days that are, um, are uh, more than the expected days, were actually down. So the length of stay efforts that we are um, deploying are working. So even though these stats don't look like it, 
I can see that uh, particularly at Highland, those opportunity days are down. Um, other interesting things here is our ED picked up. We were, we've been off 10.1%, we're only off 8.3%. So that's building back uh, post-COVID. Mm -hmm. Trauma cases, a lot of trauma, 9.3% above budget. Year to date, we're pretty much at budget. Uh, surgeries, inpatient surgeries uh, were up 5.8%. So that really drove the surgery volume. Also good for AHS. Um, skilled nursing uh, also had a higher length of stay. Again, COVID-related discharge issues. Uh, clinic visits are down 5.2%. That is mostly in the FQs in primary care. So it, there's a lot of vacancies there. And so our volume is dropping. It's definitely impacting access. Um, our physician RVUs are up, mostly driven by the hospital-based charges. So moving to the financial results, we did have another good month. Um, our net income is uh, positive 187. We had expected a loss. Year-to-date, we are doing very well at 116.2. That's 97, uh, 936 above budget. Our EBITDA is strong in the current month. We're exceeding budget by a, a million one, basically. And year-to-date, 94.8 million. So here is our uh, revenue slide. Our gross charges are up 10.6%. A lot of that being those inpatient days. Um, outpatient service revenue is also up. I mentioned that ED was running higher than um, where we've been year-to-date. We also did a few isolated um, fee increases to our level charges to get to market. We did, we did them kind of off, uh, off, um, off track because our normal fee increase would be July 1 and we did do a, another fee increase July 1. But we wanted to get those charges to market because we are um, signed all those new commercial contracts and we were below market. So we wanted to start those contracts out um, at a fairer CDM price. So there's a lot to that and we can come back, circle back to it. A lot of analysis was done and it was literally just about uh, maybe six charges that we adjusted, but it did have an impact in the charging this month. And on the professional fees, again, the busy hospital created more professional fee charges. Um, looking at the collection ratio at 20.1, we're ahead of year to date. So another good month on collections. This is being driven off of our ZBAs. That's a zero balance analysis where we look at what we're actually being paid as a percent of charges on accounts. We do do this all manually. We don't have any sort of a software package to do this, um, but we did, we did validate that the collections are coming in and I'm gonna show you the collections to, to prove it here in just a minute. Um, in regard to supplementals, there's really not a lot to talk about today. Um, there's just a slight variance here, 2.7% in supplementals, and it's because of the year-to-date um, increases that we've had yeah. several of the supplemental programs, so we increased our monthly accruals. That's really about all there is to report here, unless we want to talk about year-to-date. Uh, just one question, since we're we're now kind of dipped our toe into the new fiscal year. And there's a question for all of you administrator types. Um, given the, the trends, a lot of 
The volume trends seem to be higher in May, but the operational trends seem to be approximately the same direction they had been in during most of FY22. And I'm wondering how you're feeling about some of the improvements in the 2023 budget. We are going to uh, report on the uh, final for, um, for last year, and then we'll come back every other month on those PIs, but we do definitely need to hit those targets and length of stay was a big one. Um, but uh, we are seeing improvement um, in the opportunity days, which is what drives the, the PI, the performance. Uh, so I, I'll let others speak, but uh, to me, the, the biggest risk is the um, staffing with COVID and overtime. Um, that I think is where our, most of our risk is. I think we're gonna keep improving on our length of stay. I'll let others speak. Alan, I think it's going to be challenging, um, but I'm optimistic. Um, the challenge is going to be if we keep seeing spikes um, with COVID, like we're starting to see today. Um, you know, we're starting to see the COVID cases starting to go up. They're trending up. And therein lies the, the angst, I guess, operationally is how do we continue to manage through the spikes, but yet be able to hit some of these performance improvement initiatives. It'll be a challenge, but um, I'm hopeful. I would just add to that. Um, Mark is right. We're seeing a spike now and we don't have sufficient data to say that this is a fact, but what we are suspecting is that we're now seeing more people who are fully vaccinated and boosted who are positive. And that is not that was not our our prior experience, and so that that doesn't bode well. Certainly, new vaccines are coming, but if that were to continue, it could still um, have grave implications for the metrics, as you kind of implied, Alan. But if the new vaccines are more effective and more able to deal with the variants, then you know that gives us some optimism about what our volumes will do in the coming months. Okay, got my fingers crossed on that one. Me too. Okay. So uh, moving on to the expenses. Um, in the current month, the variances are the same as they have been year to date. Um, labor, obviously I'll talk about in the, in the next slide. Um, purchase services is being you know, driven by you know, the best, which of course is um, a contingency agreement and we are only recording the expense when we know that we're achieving the goals. So there's uh, 8 million in the in variance year to date. Security services, that's again, been over every month. It's 1.3 million year to date. Clinical services, 1.6 million and HIM 1.3 million. So those, there's a lot of uh, the dollars are, are pretty big and they're in the same areas and it, that hasn't changed all year. Same story with materials and supplies. It's being driven by higher pharmaceuticals. Um, again, we are selling those, so that's not all bad. That that's not a you know not something to be concerned with. Um, the PPE for COVID is four million over budget. Lab reagents, again, related to COVID, are two point five million over. So uh, for the year, and it's it's the same variance in the month, as I said. And then general and administrative, it's a, a little over this month, uh, more of a timing, but 
year to date is driven by the self-funded insurance and legal costs. So that's the story there. Uh, in regard to labor, um, this month we saw a negative variance in our internal staff. It's 1.7%, almost 800,000. Year to date, we're actually 2% below because we've been using a lot of registry. So we looked into this and the reason why it is so high this month is primarily due to the fact that our internal staff um, performed a lot more overtime. So the, the biggest areas were the Highland um, surgery. You saw those inpatient surgery volumes that went up, ED and ICU, again, all those areas where we had large increases in volume and our staff stepped up and did a lot of overtime. Um, registry is high. Yes, we did use more FTE, um, but we also did a reconciliation of old invoices and we had to pay um, some, um, some, pay some invoices that had were stale. So we did a catch up. That's one of the things that happens because uh, you know the invoicing, getting the time cards and getting approved is, is uh, all manual and from time to time this, this does occur. Also this month, the physicians were up um, 3.7 million, 3.1 million of that relates to the PSA that was renewed on January 1. We had to go back and retroactively provide the physicians the increases so um, that was accomplished this month and it was 3.1 million. The remainder of it is pretty consistent with the previous months, uh, not something uh, new there. Um, question, how are we doing with the, uh, the conversion to the new timekeeping system? So we are, um, we are working to get, get it done. Uh, I will tell you, we were yellow on the last dashboard. We are behind in some of the areas uh, to complete the project. Um, we, we haven't changed the go live date. Uh, Is that September? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of, of work that has to get done on making sure that we've got the, the, you know, the testing done and Obviously, the nurse scheduling system, acuity system, is a huge change for us. So that there's a lot of testing that has to happen, and we are behind. Um, this is the uh, FTE graph. You can see the last few months our FTEs have gone up, and we surpassed the budget in May, as we talked about there. And again, as I always point out, we were we had fewer FTEs, um, obviously uh, pre-COVID and higher volumes. So the idea here is that we will get more efficient. Here's the balance sheet. Um, I'll talk about receivables in just a minute. I want to talk about the net position. Um, we continue to improve. Uh, this is the the net deficit that AHS has, um, and that's improving because of our improved uh, net profit. And the net negative balance is positive, which means we have completely paid off the line of credit with the county. So two months in a row now. 
Here's the revenue cycle slide. Um, our days in air are going up. And you might say, wow, that's not what we want to see. That is true. Um, uh, we do have a, a new target of 57 days for HB and 33 for PB. Um, these are based on Huron best practice uh, associated with Alameda Health System. But our problem this month related to um, the fact that we outsourced AR to Pararev, and we did that late April. And we had a bunch of EOBs coming through that did not post to the AR. So that's $11 million of denials, um, probably appropriate denials, that we just did not get posted, which allowed our AR to um, increase. Down here in- Those are basically gonna be write-offs that are gonna bring the AR down? Yes. Yes, they just didn't get posted because uh, because we had the AR outsource. So we'll have those workflows have been established and this should be all cleaned up by, so it's not cleaned up completely yet, but by July, end of July. Does that represent an increase in our rate of denials or just catching up in this the posting of denials? No, purely a catch up. And we'll come back and give an AR update to everyone. I'd like to get this cleaned up before we um, come back. Um, we've made some good progress. There's gonna be bumps in the road. Uh, bumps in the road mean we are changing things and we are impacting the workflow. So um, it was unfortunate that we couldn't uh, get this set up to, to happen automatically, uh, but it, it just didn't. Everything sat in the work queue. So we're working through it. And uh, like I said, it should be all caught up by July. And PB went up because of the volume increase. That was a pretty substantial volume increase on professional fees. So here's our collection slide. And, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding, so they say, right? So we are actually um, running 17.3% ahead of last year. Uh, and just, just to point out, that's $96 million ahead of what we collected last year. Um, and of course, way ahead of where we were before and our volumes are still not fully recovered to pre-COVID. So this is just an incredible story here. Tough here. crowd, people aren't celebrating that slide. Yeah, I was expecting <laughs> something here. Tough crowd, <laughs> great slide. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it, it is. I mean, I mean it, this is, you know, these are the facts. And our volumes, like I said, are not even back to where they were here. And look at how much, you know, more we're collecting. What's great about that is that uh, that includes pre-pandemic pre figures that were way above. So it's not just that we're getting back to more normal operations, it's that we're yeah. doing all around better. Way to go team. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, well, our team is doing a phenomenal job and our best partnership is, is, is paying off. And that's why I have all those years there so that you can see the pre-COVID. And we're also getting a good return on Epic. We are, yes, absolutely. So this is the, uh, the forecast of the NNB and you can see there we are. Uh, 
uh, at right about at zero, um, you have to add back the reserve funds to, to, to get to the true NNB, but this is, this is how we've always done our line of credit balance. Um, so we're gonna see it dip down because we're expecting some more funds and I'll show you the material transactions in the next slide. This is actually 48 million, there, I need a dollar sign there, better than the prior month's forecast. And you think, wow, Kim, that is so huge. Well, now that we're getting near the end of the year and checks are coming in, you know, we got the HPAC, we got John George money, Measure A's coming in way higher than, than we thought. Normally it, it, um, tank, uh, it uh, tamps down at the end of the year, but that is not happening this year. And um, we also got a, a cost report settlement. Uh, in addition to that, the capital budget, we are still below our budget for spending. We adjusted it to 20. So that's gonna be uh, 12 million um, less than what we had planned on for the year. So sometimes Medi-Cal runs out of money and stops paying like in the middle of June. Did that happen this year? It did, it absolutely did happen, yes. So we may see that impact next month. Yes, I will. Uh, I'll make sure I point it out on the slide. They do it every year without fail. <laughs> so here's the uh, material um, items that are included in the cash flow. A couple things I want to point out um, here under the GPP, we had the Senate Bill 129. Uh, we talked about it last month because that's when we knew about it, but I did not have it on this graph. So we, we actually received it in June, so we needed to put it in here. We also had a, a 8 million increase in, um, for the GPP current calendar year 22. We got notice of that, so we added that in in July. It was 20.6 last month. And then the other uh, item that changed is the two items at the bottom, the capital cost fund and the capital designation funds. These are the due to, due from with the county. We were um, talking about doing an amendment that would allow us to transfer 90% of the money that we receive in our cost report for county owned depreciation and interest. And we are still talking to the county of, about that. So I just moved it over one month. And then uh, this next month, August, we said that we would, if we do this amendment, we would keep transferring over 90% of the liability one year at a time so that we would build this fund up so we could access it for capital improvements. Um, so we're still working on that. We haven't. Uh, we haven't been able to get that amendment done. And then the idea was that the county would release the capital designation funds. These are invoices that we've given to the county for EPIC. So they're EHR related and those funds have not been released. So the thought was this would happen in the same month. So it's kind of a, a, a exchanging checks, if you will. Um, why this is important to us for the designation funds is the auditors, our auditors are saying that if we don't get a confirmation from the county that they're gonna pay this, they're not gonna allow us to keep that um, receivable on our books. So that's why that's important. 
So hopefully we'll have uh, more on this very soon. Uh, but all I've done is, again, just move it out one month and reflect it one more year's cost report in August at 90%. So that is my report. Are there any questions? All right, great report. Actually, uh, uh, Sir Chair, may I ask uh, our CFO question? Uh, Miss Miranda, at a last meeting, I can't remember which one or two goes, we talked about um, negotiating the FQ rate. Um, can you give us an update on where that was? I can't remember the numbers. 400 sounds right. And then maybe going a little bit bigger. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't have an update on that. Um, right now, what we're doing is we are, we've got all these data files going back years and we are trying to help the state figure out what our settlement should be. And the reason why I'm doing that is we were focusing so much attention on the number of visits that it was getting contentious in, in all honesty. And so I just decided, let's just go ahead and lay this all out for them because we know it's ultimately gonna be a settlement and that rate will be the result of the settlement. So you're right, we wanted about 400. Uh, we're currently uh, not there yet because they are disputing the, the, the visits. Um, but as soon as I know something, I'll, I'll update the group. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Madam CFO. Uh, next on the agenda is a presentation on the infrastructure capital projects by Mark Fratsky. Thank you, Trustee Fox. And I'll look to Rana to bring up the presentation. Um, and Rana, if you can, okay, it's good. It's on, um, it's on presentation mode. So I just want to let the board know that slides um, three, four, and five represent exactly what was in your packet regarding this topic. Slide two is new. It's my talking points related to this. So why don't we Go, but before we go, I just want to recognize a couple people from the county that I've had the opportunity to work with, Kimberly Gassaway and Tom McMinney. And I think Kimberly, uh, both working at GSA, I think Kim is on tonight, but we've worked over the past three, four months on this. And I'm really pleased to share it for you tonight, with you tonight as information only. Okay, so next slide. Um, first bullet point, um, just um, as Kim mentioned, our annual cost report, we transition um, infrastructure depreciation or building depreciation over to the Alameda County. Um, and then we access that money back as we determine what we want to work on mutually, what we want to improve. Next bullet. Currently the fund is at 5.7 million. I think that's gonna grow significantly here soon, but we've got 5.7 million. So the, the list I gave you represents what we're doing with that 5.7 million. Next bullet so point. So Mark, are you saying that effectively we're funding our depreciation, but we're giving that the fund to we're, the county? We're giving the funds to the county, their county owned facilities. 
So we have to mutually agree with them what we're going to spend the money on. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because I thought the process was pretty good. Because in 2018, Alameda County did what they call a facility condition assessment, hiring a contractor to um, do this for them. Um, the study, of course, now is four years old, so I appreciate or I, I increased the, the dollar amounts by at least, I think, around 20% um, in our calculations here now. But it was a real comprehensive facility assessment at Highland, John George, and Fairmont. Okay, so next bullet. That's just what I said. The next bullet. Um, they looked at the, the, the contractor who looked at this, looked at structural, architectural, mechanical, fire protection, electrical, and ADA assessments as they sit there today. And if we go to the next bullet, um, you can see that in these areas, they rated um, the level of priority. Priority one is high. Priorities two and three were short-term long-term our priority four. Now our intention is to work on all of the projects under each one of these priorities um, over the course of, I don't know, probably the next five, six years, I would guess. Next bullet. So this year we're going to use predominantly most of the money on priority one projects and more. And the next bullet represents the more. Um, I've, we've agreed to add tier three seismic assessments for Highland and Fairmont. And I'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the actual numbers, um, along with roof repair. You know, we went through last rainy season. I can't tell you the number of calls I got from people in the old Highland buildings that their offices were wet, their carpet was wet, et cetera. So we threw in about $600,000 to repair the roofs on the old buildings. Next bullet. Um, then the question comes up about, okay, we've got 5.7 million. We know we want to spend most of it. How do we, how do we AHS access that? And I'm working with Kim and Tom um, at the county with their legal um, team to develop an MOU. I hope it can be as simple as Hey, look, we've got the um, bid now on the roof. It's 500000 Please release the funds to us so we can pay versus having to expense each item to them. But more to come on that. Um, and the last bullet, I believe, is that um, the Board of Supervisors needs to approve this capital list, and it's probably going to be done at their September meeting. So you're seeing a glimpse of it. Um, in advance, just for information. Next slide. And you can see at the Highland Campus in the John George Mental Health Hospital, these are the projects that we're going to be working on. You can see the seismic evaluation at almost a half a million dollars. Um, and then all of these other priority one items, both at John George and um, Highland. Now, John George has no seismic needs. It's seismically sound. It's a newer building. Okay, next slide. But when we go to Fairmont, there's several buildings on the Fairmont campus, all of which need some work around seismic evaluation. And if you look at the bottom of each um, area there, you can see the seismic evaluation cost for each one of the buildings. 
Now, these seismic evaluations will tell us, here's exactly what needs to be done, the scope of the work in detail, and here's the cost, what, it, what, it, what it'll be for you. And then we can take that, give it to a contractor, get bids, have them go to work on it. So that's, that's kind of, we're, we're getting down to the later stages of this seismic evaluation. Next slide. And these are the rest of the buildings, um, if you will, including walkways at um, Fairmont. All in all, this comes up to about $4 million of the 5.7. We've got a $1.7 million fudge factor in there, if you will, because of it's, it's, it's the, the pricings we're unsure of in the market today. We know they're gonna be more. I added 20% more, but um, we will see how, how it goes. So with that, I, I'm gonna end. I just, next slide is if there are any questions any of you have, Kimberly is on the line too to, to help me field any questions you may have, but that's what we've been working on. You know, it was, it was fun to come to an agreement on what we need to do, but I think it's the first step in finally getting at um, refurbishing and getting into getting our old buildings up to speed, if you will, on all of our campuses. So um, with that, I'll pause and just ask if there's any questions or Kimberly, if there's anything you would add, I would ask you to do so. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the partnership. We're committed to getting the work done at the sites, as you can see by the assessments. And uh, I think we've made some good progress. A little more work to do to get it done, but we're, we're really appreciative of how it's going so far. Uh, I have a question for, for both of you, Mark and Kimberly. And that is, if we have an unforeseen urgent need that's not on this list, uh, how can we, are we able to get that funded uh, as quickly as we need to get it funded? Like a boiler breaks or something like that, that's not on the list and we don't have yeah. time to go through a lot of process. Yeah, it depends on what it is, Alan, because boilers have been part of AHSs. Um, but, but let's just say to your question, it's more infrastructure, maybe a roof caves in. Yeah. yeah, that would be an emergency that I would call Kim up and say, okay, we need to talk about adjusting um, our, our scope of work here on, on this, for this year. And we'd have a conversation about that. And Kim, are you, will you be receptive receptive to those kinds of requests? Uh, of course, that's our um, county-owned property. And if we have roofs caving in, things of that nature, or major infrastructure issues, we're going to want to immediately um, do something about it. And then there are other parts in our routine agreement that our responsibilities already of HS. They don't need our um, approval to do those work. But yes, and hopefully a lot of this major maintenance work that we're trying to get done um, will mitigate any of those types of situations. That's the intent. The priorities are set for the highest risk areas first. It's, we actually did a five-year assessment. Mark and I right here are looking at the first year worth of work. So we have five years worth of projects to bring forward. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm, certainly. Other questions? Trustee Fox, I yes. see Trustee Splendorio and Trustee Bouquet have questions. Okay. Uh, All right, Mark, if I can ask. 
let me ask my question, Mark. Would you mind explaining how, um, I mean, maybe this is more of an allocation, you know, in essence, in real estate, it would be an allocation between the landlord and the tenant on these buildings. How do you determine how much is on AHS's budget? And does the county have its own um, responsibility to fund certain uh, repairs or, or improvements uh, along the way? I mean, you know, in a, in a real estate situation, uh, you know, the tenant may take on most responsibility during the lease, but when the lease renews, then there's a discussion of, well, how do we make the building more modernized? That sort of, is there a, is there a protocol that, that you can summarize for me? Um, I believe, yes, um, the, the significant infrastructure work, the fixed um, assets, parts of the buildings, if you will, the roof, the structure, um, those types of things, the county is typically responsible for. And it's outlined in our agreement with the county, I believe, maybe not specifically, but just kind of in general, Splen. Um, so, but, but, you know, the we've always been responsible for, let's say a boiler breaks down or, um, um, you know, a nursing call system goes down or the, those types of things um, typically fall within. And if I have questions, I refer to um, either the agreement we have with them or I'll give Kimberly a call and we'll talk it through. Keep in mind, when Trustee uh, Spandora is that our rent is like a, a dollar a year for each spot. So we're not our, we're not paying rent per se. So in essence, the we're getting this money back because we put it on our cost report and then now we're, you know, working with the county on how best to use it, whether we're investing or whether we're doing maintenance in the buildings. So it's a little different than the commercial real estate deal. Uh it, it's a little bit different, but but the same principles apply that, that you made an allocation of responsibility. Um, you know, if that's a trade-off, you pay only one dollar <throat> a year in rent, and you take on all these obligations. Th that's fine. I mean, that that's not strange to commercial commercial real estate. That, but um, but there's an allocation of risk and mm -hmm. a responsibility allocation. Yeah. Trustee Bouquet. Yes, sir. I had a, qu a quick question about the funding. So thank you for presenting. I love schedules, right? So um, for uh, roughly $4 million for Fairmont, John George plus Highland was around $2.5 million. So that's around six point five. but we have no, 5.7 in the till. No, it was $4 million overall. Oh, okay. That was a summer. I, th yeah. I thought that was just that was the That was the bottom for all of them. Okay, got it. Okay, that, that, that's great. You yeah. said that the, the depreciation fund might increase, actually. Yeah, I guess I would. Mechanism? Yeah, I'd have Kim explain that um, yeah. her intentions on in terms of how it 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 we you know transition the dollars over. Kim, do you want to comment on that? So when we uh, we file our cost report, we do it twice. We do it we do it once with the county owned assets on our books, and once without the county owned assets on our books. The difference is the amount that we are to transfer to the county. Currently, we don't transfer it until the final audits are done. So we've got quite a backlog of years, which is what I was uh, uh, referring to on the material um, transaction slide. The 26 million is 90% of what we currently owe to the county. So if we do this amendment and we can start 
giving them 90% two years after the end of the fiscal year, regardless of where the audit status is, then that pool of funding for investment in buildings or maintenance um, will be available. Uh, accessed. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah. The total is about 9 million a year. Um, so the 90% is the 8.1 that was in the slide. Thank you. It, uh, any other questions for Mark? Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mark, for that information. And we're going to go on to the next item, which is the uh, Kim Miranda's report on the performance improvement initiatives. All right. Um, Grace uh, Messina is going to present to us tonight. Um, so, Grace, do you want me to share slides or do you no, want I, I have the slides. Thank you. I'll go ahead and share my screen. Does everybody uh, know or remember Grace Messina? She's our uh, director over financial planning and budgeting. Right. Welcome, Grace. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, so this is our performance initiatives and it's the final scorecard basically for the year. So this is the year end report. Um, so we have our legend. And for this one, since this is the, the full year, um, we're just gonna do complete and not complete off track. Um, there's no on track or need to watch at this point. So this is our um, performance initiatives that we had um, planned to achieve for fiscal year 22. Um, I'll start off with the overtime reduction. So the overtime reduction, we were not able to achieve it. It is red. Um, we did have, um, uh, we, are, we did trend down. Our baseline was 3.8% and our actual is 3.6% in the metric status here, but our budget was 2.7%. Now, um, it was not achieved because there was um, a lot of um, sick, uh, sick time due to COVID, um, lack of adherence to the sitter reduction uh, escalation process and minimum, minimum staffing requirements on inpatient units. Um, so for next year, we will um, have the training for programs to decrease the vacancies and decrease the number of length of stay due to COVID and hardwiring some of the processes that we already have in place, but um, you know, cementing it more in the fiscal year 23, such as the daily monitoring of incremental overtime, weekly meeting um, with managers and staffing scheduler to review holes and fill it with SANS instead of overtime. Um, and we're also reviewing schedules to break consecutive um, day pay. We're working on sitter reduction, and that is adherence to escalation approval for all sitters. Um, we're working with recruitment um, for hiring events to fill vacancies. Traveler approval management is going to be centralized in the staffing office, and the CES pay sunsetted in July 1st. So um, these will help us achieve it for the next fiscal year, but unfortunately, we didn't make it for this fiscal year. Now, the average length of stay, we did not achieve it as well. Our baseline is 5.33. Our budget is 4.75, and our actual is 5.56, a little bit longer. And as you've heard in our um, presentation of the financials, a lot of these things are because we cannot discharge uh, to SNF and home uh, and um, hospice and all that because of the COVID outbreaks. Um, for revenue improvements. 
we, um, it is completed. Um, we had projected a budget of $3.9 million. Our actual uh, was $11.3 million. And this is based on, um, we were able to increase charge capture in the ED and, um, in the ED and uh, GI areas. And we were also um, um, able to get some um, underpayments on our um, old accounts and, um, and recoup some of the older accounts as well. And then for the cash flow, we reduced AR day, uh, the target was to reduce AR days to 50, which is, seems to be an unrealistic um, target as we found out uh, with the best, with the Euron group. Our baseline was 63.5 and our actual 65.7. So we, did, we didn't really budget, it's just a cash flow and it's 18.4 um, is what it impacted in our cash flow. Our payer contracting, um, we were able to achieve our payer contracts. Um, our budget was $3 million and we achieved $5.2 million. A lot of this is due to the, um, the uh, United Trauma payments that we were able to recoup. That was about the underpayments and that was about $2.6 million. And um, we increased our charges which generated more net revenue and we did close uh, contracts on the five out of the 10 contracts. For the John George billing improvements, we have completed that. Um, we had built into budget $8 million and we achieved $8 million. And that's um, basically we cleaned up our billing uh, and our, you know, and, and build our claims. We reduced denials and admin days, and then we were we were able to max it, sign a new contract that is $8 million more than prior year. And um, um, and we're gonna continue to do that. For the dental clinic, we achieved that by getting our FQ status for the dental, and that's a half a million dollars that we had achieved. And for the FU conversion uh, of the other Highland clinics, um, that actually was not budgeted, um, but it is, it is a performance improvement. We didn't have any dollars related to it, but we achieved 700,000. For the HPAC outside medical cost, um, we have a budget um, savings built in of 400,000 and I apologize, this is an error. We actually achieved 300,000. Um, and so our variance to budget is only 100,000. What we had done was we built, we built in the 400,000 in the budget. If they were to achieve budget, which they did in less 100,000, then they achieved the goal. So uh, it's still red. We didn't make the, um, you know, we didn't make it by $100,000. And, you know, with the HPAC cost, um, the primary challenge was limited specialty access uh, within AHS, which required the HPAC patients to be referred out to non-AHS providers. And um, in FY23, this is um, going to be reduced our outside medical cost is going to be reduced as they expand the coverage for uh, Medi-Cal undocumented for uh, 50 years and older. And that was effective in May 1st, 2022. So these individuals, instead of being covered by, instead of being an HVAC uh, patient would actually be uh, Medi-Cal uh, through one of our managed care plans in the county, Alameda Alliance or Blue Cross. The IOP operational, um, the IOP 
revenue cycle, we were able to um, retro bill and collect $2 million. And then for the sitter management, uh, we had postponed this to FY 2023. It is on our uh, performance initiatives for next year. And for labor management, as you can see, um, the variance reflected us not achieving um, our overtime and average length of stay targets. And here's the best revenue cycle. Um, we started best um, after the budget was finalized. So we did not budget any of these dollars in there, but we did, um, we did have achievements on them. So the best revenue cycle is $16 million. Um, the supply chain was 590,000. The pharmacy is $20,000. The best care optimization and the best medical group is just starting now. So it'll be, it's also all of these will carry over for next fiscal year. Question, Grace, what is the total represent at the bottom of this slide? Um, so that $16.6 .6 million is what we have achieved. So the built-in, and, and only for the best. I don't know if I oh, actually- I see, because built-in budget, the total is zero, but there was, there were quite a, was quite a bit of money in the budget when you look at all of these projects. So we didn't have any budget on them last year. And then we, we achieved some this year. And then in next year, it's in the budget, right? Right. Uh, are you talking about only for the best uh, project? Oh, yeah. This is only for the best. I'm sorry. I actually didn't have a subtotal for this one. Um, sorry about that. I can, I, I can add it up. Because there's a lot of uh, numbers in the budget column, uh, but I guess some of them are not best projects. Yeah, the first two slides, these two slides were our internal. Um, okay, got our it. internal budget. They're pre-euron. Yeah, pre-euron, and then the next one would be euron, and we okay. added that in because it came in later in the year. Miss Messina, this is Taft Bouquet. Will you go back to uh, the best slide? Sure. That's a good one. I, you know, obviously, I like the sixteen point six one. Is that sixteen point six one after their cut or before their cut? That is before their cut. Okay, so it's not really sixteen point six one. Yeah, twenty five percent less. Twenty five percent. Got it. Okay, and do you recall what was in the budget for twenty twenty three? 23.2 million dollars. Okay, in the best projects, right? In the best, in the best initiatives itself. And then that actually is net of their fees. When we okay. put it into their budget, we, we netted out their fees. So it looks like then rough guess we're gonna be, we're gonna increase the uh, gross improvement by somewhere around 70% over 2022. Sounds ambitious, but uh, we're on a good, a good trend. Any one other, other question, uh, not related to best though, is it is there any chance that the John George reimbursement will ever, will ever get to the point where it's negotiated before the year actually starts and we get paid as we go? Well, the the reason why we don't um, we don't uh, do it in advance is because we have to have the cost report. Because remember, the county will only pay us what they get paid. 
So once we do the cost report in December, we can sit down at the table with them and negotiate a new rate. And of course, um, the rate is higher if we have less denials and less admin days. So um, when, when, I, when we negotiate the, the max contract, we wanna make sure that we um, have our performance improvement built into the template so that we can increase the contract. Got it. Okay. Other questions for Grace? All right, thank you very much for that report, Grace. Thank you. Great, great progress in all of these areas, or most of them anyhow, especially the best areas. Uh, next item is the strategy update on commercial payer contract. Kim Miranda. All right, so um, I don't know if Sandra Wellington's on still. I know she had an appointment tonight, but I want to be sure you all know who Sandra is because Sandra is the is the key um, player in this uh, in getting this uh, uh, managed care strategy over the finish line. I'm so excited about what I get to present today because so many people said it couldn't be done. But we did it. So, um, Sandra, are you there somewhere? There she I is. Am here. I am here. <laughs> so we Good have day. Sandra to thank because uh, she has just um, pushed this and kept it going. We did um, hire a consultant to help us as a negotiator, but there is so much uh, back and forth that needs to happen. And uh, I don't know what we would do without Sandra. Somehow she kept it all together. <laughs> so. Um, I don't know. I, I, do you want me just to go ahead and, and uh, um, uh, speak, Sandra? Or you know. sure. That's fine. Okay. All right. So this is our agenda. We're going to remind you of what our strategy was. We're going to give you the status of the hospital negotiations and then the professional negotiations. And then uh, I wanted to give you an update on the lawsuit. So it's not on the agenda, but it is, it is in what was posted. So the information was, uh, was there. Let's see if I can get this to be bigger. All right. So this is, uh, was our strategy. So this is really just a reminder. Uh, we wanted to improve the patient and physician satisfaction by becoming in network. Um, you know, our, many of our patients were caught being out of network. They had all these surprise payments that they were responsible for. We had physicians that were very upset that wanted to refer patients to us. And then uh, lo and behold, they were out of network. So uh, it's, it's been an ongoing issue for quite some time. Uh, we wanted to contract with all the major payers, right? Um, it wouldn't make sense to try to do every single payer, but at least the major ones in our area. We wanted to reduce the outside legal expense because right now we have to go fight in the courts to get paid a reasonable rate. Um, we wanted to negotiate based on a reasonable cost coverage and we actually had some um, market data to help us do that. We wanted to preserve our trauma rates at Highland because obviously we need to get um, paid fairly for those trauma services. They're very expensive. Um, and we wanted to make sure that the physicians were also contracted and we wanted to benchmark to Medicare so we could you know, have a level playing field between contracts. 
And we wanted to ensure um, that we were compensated accurately. Um, I think uh, Grace mentioned the trauma error that we had um, with UHC. Well, that was actually found by Chancellor when she went back and audited the payments and discovered that we were not paid accurately. And then the final item here is compliance. You know, we need to comply with the No Surprises Act. That means we need to provide patient estimates. If we don't, co you know, if we don't have contracts and we have a trauma patient, how do we know what we're supposed to charge them? Our sample size is so small. So by being contracted, we can do estimates. We can build the contracts in EPIC and in an expected payment module, and we can do a much better job tracking to be sure we're paid appropriately. So that was our strategy. Love this slide. We are contracted on the hospital side for everyone except Highland with HealthNet. HealthNet is being a real pain. But everywhere else, we are now contracted. So hallelujah. <laughs> and then if you look at our targets, um, we managed to get our trauma rates to between 87 and 90%, 5% of bill charges from all payers. They said it couldn't be done, but we did it. And we also were able to hit competitive cost coverage targets. Now, granted, we're not Sutter, we're not gonna command the same rates as Sutter, but we um, were able to show with the um, market analysis that we are getting adequate cost coverage. There are a few signatures pending here. I do have to say that. Don't like it, but we've agreed on rates. They say the paper's coming. And um, uh, my hope is that these will all get signed here you know, very soon, since there's no more negotiating involved. It's just doing the amendments. So question, Kim, uh, Kaiser's not on this list, on, the, on this slide. Is that because we're just out of cycle on Kaiser and we haven't had to do a negotiation? Actually, we have a great Kaiser contract um, and we are contracted and we've always been contracted. Kaiser has been a good partner to this organization. And so I, we probably need to add it here, but we didn't have to touch the Kaiser contract, which is why it was missed. It was on the previous slide. There was okay. a, right, I, I would imagine we get a lot of trauma patients from Kaiser since they've got so much of the insured market. Yes, and we are contracted. It's, uh, it's just that, that we didn't have to negotiate a new contract for Kaiser, which is why it's not on the next slide. These yeah. other ones were all negotiated. Yeah, and, and, and Trustee Fox, I would say we have on average at Highland six to 10 Kaiser patients a day. Right. So we're in that same, are we in that same 87 to 95% range with Kaiser? Yes. And you can see most 29% of our volume is Kaiser. There's the payer mix right there. So we've really got them by being really the only, tra only trauma center in Northern Alameda County. That's helped us a lot. And this is, you know, why we went the other direction because we couldn't get decent rates from the payers. And so that's why we went non-contracted. Um, but we were able to turn that around. And uh, I mean, this is a, a, a huge success story. 
So here's the professional agreements. The professional agreements are negotiated with a different set of people within the plans. And so what we wanted to do is get the hospital done and then go back and do the professional. Um, you know, Chancellor has, that's our, our consultant that's been doing the negotiations, has some great relationships with the payers. That was one of the reasons why we picked them. Because uh, if we had to hire somebody and they had to establish all those relationships, it could have taken years. Um, so we are now working on these. Uh, Aetna's Complete, Blue Shield, Bright, Multiplan, and United are all good. We've got our rates. It's all settled. These other ones here, we're still in the middle of. Brown and Tolan's on hold because we, unless we can take additional volume, we don't want to uh, do that contract. Um, for the other ones, because those patients end up here with a trauma, it is good to have these professional agreements done so that nothing's out of network and we can do those estimates and comply with the No Surprises Act. All right, so this, this is an update on the legal disputes. So um, basically one of the strategies with all of this is to stop having to have to you know, pay attorneys to go fight for fair reimbursement on our services. So um, what, we, what we did is we uh, stopped, we wanted to either delay or postpone the actual uh, court dates. And the way you do that is with a standstill agreement and you preserve your rights uh, in the standstill agreement. And Ahmad can always chime in. He looks- <laughs> Council, Council has that look on his face. Yeah, he does have that look. <laughs> um, anyway, so- we wanted to do these standstill agreements and we did with Blue Shield. We actually finished it because we have a contract with Anthem because we're still waiting for the signatures. We haven't been able to negotiate that standstill agreement. But the idea is that if we're contracted, then we could go back and figure out what we should have been paid, either as a percent of charge, percent of Medicare, something so that we can get, we can settle all these claims. So you asked me, how big of a deal is this? Well, um, the lawsuit ones have been fully, you know, audited and, you know, anything that we didn't think we were entitled to because maybe we had a medical necessity denial or we got um, a partial payment. Anyway, we have scrubbed through these. SAC Law is actually the vendor that does this. And we were ready to go to court on $8 million um, with Anthem. We think we probably could get 50% on that. With Blue Shield, it's 1.9 million rounded. Maybe we'd get about 50%, at least that's what we would hope to get uh, on those. But these numbers are, have been boiled down to what we actually believe the charges are on claims owed. These other rows, the unfiled or underpaid claims, are items in our legacy database that we've identified that we should have been paid better for, right? So these ones still have to be scrubbed. We have to you know, agree on whether the medical necessity denial was appropriate or not. There's a whole lot of work to be done on these. And we didn't want to just throw those away. We wanted to try to get something out of it. So. Um, what we've been doing in, in, is, or at least attempting in the standstill agreement is to get the payer to look at these claims. So I don't know how successful we will be, but I wanted you to see the magnitude of those low pays. So by having contracts and building out our expected payment module within Epic, 
this isn't going to happen anymore, right? So um, uh, it is way bigger than than just the the fact that we may get some money back on these claims. We're going to be able to fix it if we've got contracts in place. So, so where we're we're where these rogue health plans have agreed that we are are correct in our action against them for which we had to incur attorney's fees to squeeze it out of them. Are they gonna reimburse us for attorney's fees as well? Well, at this point, we're, uh, you know, we're just trying to make sure that we consider these claims. Uh, so our, our attorneys uh, work on a contingent basis. Um, yeah, Kim, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I probably, I, I'm not too comfortable getting too deep into the legal strategy here um, on an open session call. So we can have uh, subsequent conversations about that, but in a closed session. We're starting to get a little too deep into the legal okay. strategy. Yeah, I, I tried to scrub most of it out of the deck. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I would just say that it's infuriating to have to spend money on attorney's fees to collect money that in the end, all parties agree we should have collected to start with. That'll be difficult, uh, Trustee Fox. Um, uh, as Kim was saying, we're looking to get what uh, what we can out of these claims here. So uh, tr uh, unless there's there's uh, you know something particularly egregious, it'll be difficult. Especially if there's no contracted attorneys' rate, uh, fees provision. So. And you can see how old these dates are. I mean, um, the, the follow-up was not as good as it should have been, um, you know, but, but we, ha we did have outsourced vendors that were working these accounts. So more to come on it. We can, we can share on another time. So Sandra, did I forget anything? So no, I think you covered everything so far. Well, that is the end of the, the presentation. And, uh, uh, and again, I just really want to thank Sandra for all of her work getting this done. <laughs> well, congrats, congratulations, Sandra, and thank you for uh, tying up all these loose end contracts because it does mean a lot to, and I know it's a lot of work to go uh, and, bring forward contracts that have been neglected for years uh, and to get all these major payers tied up or committed, let's say to fair contracts. Uh, that's a great development. So thank you. Thank you. For sure. I, I would agree in the history of this organization, I consider this a tectonic strategic move, you know, I mean, we've never had this before. So uh, I believe this deserves a roadshow. Uh, to uh, for to the organization, people have been talking about this for you know decades, and uh, wow, very impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I I agree, and I think this is something we'll definitely want to feature when we have our joint meeting with the board of soups. Yeah, it meets our pillar, uh, Trustee Friedman of of community. Now now we can uh, we have a greater opportunity to serve all, including people who are who are insured. So yeah, wow. And it really reflects our running a tight ship because when you see an, a hospital organization where they've let their contracts slip for years and years, um, it just seems to be an indication that they're not tending to their business. And 
So that's not the case with AHS. So I'm proud of this accomplishment. Very much so. All right, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, the next item is discussion of the uh, article from Modern Healthcare that we sent with the agenda package on the Roe versus Wade decision. Uh, you know, obviously we've, we've all probably read and spoken thousands of words in commentary about uh, this ruling. Um, I'm just interested in how, how folks uh, in this meeting feel it's going to impact AHS. Uh, I know that in states where abortion is now outlawed, physicians you know, face the situation of being compromised and probably eventually not even trained in how to, how to handle uh, situations where termination of pregnancy is, is called for, uh, even where the health of, and the life of the mother is at stake. But how will it affect us here in Oakland, California? Any thoughts? I mean, it's overwhelming. Any thoughts? I think Mr. CEO has some great thoughts. I would just offer that today we had a wonderful presentation. Dr. Altshuler, um, Dr. Smith, and Elena, one of the nurse practitioners who's been in the OBGYN program for 40 years now, were on the desktop chat and they talked about um, the impact of the ruling and how they saw it um, in, you know, impacting what we do here at AHS. Uh, I thought it was a wonderful presentation, really good dialogue with the audience. The reality is we are anticipating and planning for potential increases in volume, but um, we have no way of knowing if there will be an influx from other states our strategy, frankly, is going to be, you know, prepare for it in the event that it were to happen. And if it doesn't, you know, that's a wonderful thing, but we do not want to be caught flat-footed. The other piece of that is to make sure that our spaces are safe and secure for our patients and for our clinicians. And so we're doing work in that area as well. I've been purposefully obtuse about exactly what we're doing because we don't want to um, divulge the planning that we're doing to harden the spaces, if you will, but we are actively, Mark Fratsky has been leading that conversation along with our security team, really working with our clinicians to make sure that we have a safe place for clinicians and for our patients, and that we have sufficient capacity for whatever increases we might encounter. Okay, thank you, Mr. Jackson. Trustee, Buket, do you have any comments from a physician perspective? You know, I think uh, uh, from all my perspectives, I think this is this is a scary time, of course, in the United States for all of us, and I think this is a a, a moment for 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 those organizations who are built that way to step up. I have the utmost faith that this is going to be an organization then that can step up to these things, and we're going to have to um, operationalize a lot of these things, things we didn't have to consider before. We have to consider now the volume increase that it, that that is certainly going to come our way. Uh, uh, I think Mr. Jackson and I were having a discussion, James. Hopefully, this isn't. I, I think there's discussion about Oakland being a sanctuary city, and and if and if and if we are one of the centerpieces of Oakland healthcare, uh, we need to have a discussion about declaring ourselves as a sanctuary organization, and then acting like that and taking the lead. And then Mr. Frasky's thoughts on 
how we protect the organization because uh, I think these are things that we hadn't thought of in prior eras that we are compelled to think about now about what could come our way. But I think we're up to the challenge. Now this might not direct, uh, Trustee Friedman. Okay, you go ahead first. No, I was gonna say that, you know, it might not affect AHS directly, but I wonder if there's gonna be an increase in applications for uh, medical school admission in states where abortion is not illegal because is, it, is there gonna be an impact on curricula in states where it is illegal? And, and, and will those medical schools uh, like the University of Texas, let's say, be forced to drop uh, uh, you know, uh, that part of the curriculum? I think, Trustee Fox, these are extraordinary things to contemplate. And you know, there's discussions in the educational circles about, about, about do people want to train in OB-GYN in those states which don't perform abortions? You know, I'm a Texan. I trained at uh, Parkland Hospital in Dallas, which was one of the most advanced OB-GYN programs in the country, which did a lot of this work. What are going to be the implications for them and, and, and how they lose their place? And then maybe people do come to the sanctuary cities where they can have sanctuary training centers and, and the like. It's, or if not, you know, what about residency programs? And residency programs as well. It's, it's a little bit overwhelming. And we have to contemplate these things. Because we're talking about maybe half of the states possibly not offering this kind of training. Trustee Friedman. I, I think that those are important concerns. It will affect our recruiting of all medical professionals that may be looking to um, migrate from those states that are not just regressive on this issue, but on so many issues that continue. Uh, uh, gender issues, um, you know, so many. Um, what I think we should think about, if it isn't already contemplated, is a summit with the Alameda Healthcare Agency, with the Alameda Health Consortium, with uh, other major providers, Sutter, Kaiser, <coughs> etc to get a regional uh, understanding of some of the likely consequences and because it's gonna require regional solutions that we won't be operating in a vacuum. Thank you for that comment. Any other comments, questions on the subject? Thanks for the article. Well, we will obviously hear a just, lot just more. Just one thing I would add. Um, Yes, sir. Just one thing I would add, um, Chair Bouquet alluded to it. Um, I and a group of um, folks from AHS met yesterday with Mayor Schaff, Mayor Libby Schaff from Oakland. And, and we had a conversation about the fact that Oakland has declared itself a sanctuary city. We shared some of the work that we're doing to enhance our, our ability to meet the anticipated increase in these sorts of services. And so we have begun the conversations with um, the city of Oakland, but I think the idea um, that you just suggested, um, uh, Trustee Friedman, about talking to other organizations and really looking for synergies with them is a wonderful one, and I'm, I'm happy to pursue that. Thank you. 
Can I just add, uh, we do actually have a form that enables us to do that through our Alameda County Safety Net Collaborative, which includes HICSA, includes social services, includes both of our health plan partners, CHCN, and we can certainly invite um, other uh, nonprofit delivery systems to the table who are also having these conversations. And I suspect they're also having these conversations as uh, part of the hospital council deliberations. Thank you, Ms. Brigham. Any additional comments or questions? Okay, thank you, folks. Uh, last item on the agenda is the review uh, for action of two uh, contracts that are being brought before us, the Johnson & Johnson contract uh, for their uh, products and supplies in the trauma area, and the DeVille construction contract uh, for uh, the construction aspect of the installation of the new CT at San Leandro Hospital. Uh, uh, Mark, are you going to talk about these? Uh, or does anybody feel they need any additional elaboration on these? Mark, you're on mute. Uh, Iris here uh, as well. Yeah, uh, excuse me, Alan. Yeah, I, they're pretty straightforward. I don't think I need to say anything more about them. Um, and if there are questions, Ira is here to help respond to those per Ahmad. Ira, any approval of okay. both contracts? Can we have a second, please? Second. Okay. Can All we right. have a roll call, Madam Clerk? Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Okay. Uh, anything else to come before this body before we adjourn? until September. Okay, thank you very much. We stand adjourned. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Good night, everyone. everybody. Hi. Bye.